You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, America. This is Pete Mecca, your host for A Veteran Story on AmericasWebRadio.com. My very special guest today is Brigadier General Tim Britt. Tim graduated from the uh, North Georgia College with a degree in criminal justice. He served in the United States Army for over 26 years. I would love to read off all his qualifications, but that would take up the entire show. He did serve in Afghanistan. Uh, General, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Pete. Glad to be here. Uh, glad to have you. It's been a long time since we talked. Uh, General Brett, after graduating from North Georgia College, you served your country for over 26 years in the U.S. Army, both on active duty and National Guard. Why did you choose the Army? Um, a bit of a bit of a story. Uh, I, my father played a, a huge role in my uh, in my selection of services, um, and as as you know, um, my brother uh, had enlisted in the Marines um, in sixty sixty six, and um, went off to Vietnam. Um, was killed in action there in in Quezon in in March of 68. Um, About 10 years later, as I was in high school and trying to uh, sort with what I was going to do with the rest of my life, um, I uh, started looking at the different different branches. And uh, because of the influence my brother had had on me, I I wanted to be a Marine. Um, My... uh, my father was, was somewhat uh, not too thrilled about that, having lost a son in Vietnam who was a Marine, and um, sat me down one day and said, look, uh, you know, you seem to be going down this road uh, wanting to serve in the military, and and uh, he said, that, that's great. Would you know, love to see you do that. Make a career out of it if you want to. He said, but I, I'll just, uh, just ask uh, two things. Um, one... Uh, that you not enter the Marine Corps, and two, uh, that you go in as an officer. Um, and uh, because of my respect uh, for him, I didn't give him any pushback on that. Um, and immediately, my junior year in high school, I started looking at, you know, some options on how I would go about uh, receiving a, a commission and uh, in the services. So. Um, because I wasn't such a great student uh, in high school, uh, <laughs> ac- academically, uh, the service academies were really out of my reach. Um, I hadn't prepared myself in high school uh, to go that route. Um, so I started looking at uh, the four senior military colleges uh, in the nation. And uh, North Georgia College, uh, now the University of North Georgia, uh, is 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 one of those four schools. Um, I had uh, I came to a decision to attend uh, North Georgia College um, for a few reasons. One was proximity, um, not not the most important one, uh, but that that was part of it. Um, the other part of the decision was really just 
the reputation that the school had and still has uh, for uh, producing leaders. Uh, so I'm, uh, I whether, can understand whether, that. Yeah, whether yeah. they serve in the military or whether they serve in uh, you know in the civilian sector as, as as business leaders or or in politics or whatever they decided to do. Um, and secondly, um, in high school, um, I was uh, an avid uh, participant uh, in a precision drill team. I, my high school offered uh, Marine Corps JROTC. Um, I was very much involved in that program, uh, both on the precision drill team and on the marksmanship team there during high school. And uh, at a uh, at one of our high school meets, um, I had the opportunity to to watch the Blue Ridge Rifles uh, precision drill team out of the University of North Georgia, um, and uh, that really uh, that really sold me. Uh, I saw them perform, um, and uh, North Georgia was, of course, already on my list of schools I had interest in, and uh, saw that drill team performed, and that kind of kind of sold me, and and. Uh, was excited about the opportunity then to be able to continue, uh, you know, being a, a, a drill, uh, being able to drill and participate on another drill team at the, at the college level. So um, that was the that was the road that uh, that I went down. And then, of course, uh, after I got to North Georgia, uh, the pro- the program there is primarily uh, to produce uh, officers through um, the U.S. Army's ROTC program. Um, of course, I participated in that program, and then uh, kind of the rest is history. I was commissioned a second lieutenant uh, from there into the uh, active Army uh, in May of 1983. Okay. I can uh, understand your father's reluctance for you to join the United States Marines. I know that was a tragic event for him. Describe, uh, a General, if you will, your active duty assignments. Okay. Um after commissioning uh, at North Georgia College, um, I then I reported to Fort McClellan, Alabama. I, there, I attended the military police officer basic course. Um, from there, I reported to Fort Hood, Texas. Um, at Fort Hood, I served uh, as a platoon leader uh, and then as an executive officer uh, as a lieutenant uh, in the 545th Military Police Company. Uh, which is the division MP company that is uh, part of the 1st Cavalry Division at Fort Hood, Texas. And I served in that unit from uh, about October of 83 until about November of 86. Uh, and then from there, uh, I went back to Fort McClellan, Alabama, uh, to attend uh, military police officer advance course. Um, while I was attending the uh, military police advance course, um, I, I met uh, the, the classmate of mine, um, and, and we've become we're not, we've been lifelong friends for forever and ever. Uh, but he was uh, he was a military police officer who was serving full time in the Georgia Army National Guard, um, and uh, he started kind of talking to me about uh, possibilities of. Uh, leaving the active component and coming over to uh, the Georgia Army National Guard and serving for them in a, in a full-time role uh, as a military police officer. Um, and so 
um, that opportunity uh, excited me uh, to be able to continue as a full-time, uh, full-time uh, my full-time career as a military police officer, uh, but also then being sort of back home in, in, in Georgia and, and closer to to parents and family and that kind of thing was 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 a part of it uh, that I considered. Um, but also just the unique mission of the guard, um, the 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 dual the dual role of the guard that's both a federal and and state mission was something that was very appealing to me so that I could not only serve uh, my nation but also serve my state. So um, right. after much contemplation. Uh, I decided to leave the active Army for a full-time position with the Georgia Army National Guard. Okay, very good. And you spent most of your time in Georgia while serving in the National Guard, except for your deployment to Kabul, Afghanistan. Considering the pullout and controversy surrounding the evacuation, tell us about your deployment and your thoughts on the pullout. Okay. Um at the, uh, <clears throat> my deployment uh, came about uh, through um, an opportunity uh, that, that, that came about as I was serving then as the chief of staff uh, for the Georgia Army National Guard. Uh, I was uh, a colonel at the time. Um, and um, as I was uh, as I was there as the chief of staff, uh, we were starting to prepare um, the 48th uh, Infantry Brigade Combat Team uh, out of out of Georgia for uh, deployment to Afghanistan. Um, ahead of the 48th Infantry Brigade going uh, was the 33rd Infantry Brigade Combat Team uh, out of uh, Urbana, Illinois. Um, and the that the thirty third uh, combat team at the time uh, had some had some vacant positions that were going to need to be filled because of course the brigade was going to be required to plus up to a level um, that would require them to to fill uh, positions at uh, at a joint. A task force level, a combined joint task force level. Uh, so they didn't. Uh, you wouldn't have those positions uh, already filled uh, based on your authorizations for just the standard infantry brigade combat team. Uh, that being the case, uh, Illinois put out a call to the states to say, "Hey, we have these positions uh, available." Uh, there was a there was a colonel's position available. Uh, w- that would be part of that combat joint task force, um, and uh, I put my name in the hat um, to to deploy with the 33rd, um, and was uh, and was accepted and and uh, left my position as the chief of staff with the Georgia Army National Guard uh, to deploy with the 33rd uh, Illinois Army National Guard. Uh, for the deployment to Afghanistan, I uh, I served there uh, as the, the uh, as the deputy commander uh, for uh, for support um, for the combined joint task force Phoenix, uh, headquartered out of Kabul. Um, I managed uh, 
you know, operational support type functions for the command. Uh, the command itself was about 7,500 personnel, soldiers, airmen, sailors, Marines, civilians, contractor personnel, and then other uh, forces, multinational forces that made up uh, the, the combined joint task force. Um, our, our, the, the, the main uh, role there um, was to uh, advise Afghan leaders and Afghan officials regarding tactical and strategic level military and security operations. We provided teams to mentor the Afghan National Army and the Afghan National Police. Um, and we were spread all over uh, the entire country, to all four corners of the country. So headquartered in Kabul, uh, but we were all over the entire country during that, uh, during that year deployment uh, to, to Afghanistan. General, I hate to interrupt. We have to go to our first break. But when we okay. come back, I would like to get your thoughts on really what you thought about Afghanistan. And if you will, give us your thoughts about the uh, evacuation that we just witnessed. Yes, sir. Folks, we'll be right yes, back. Stay with us. Hi, this is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. This program, from Warriors to Citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Right quick, break in right quick, and remind everybody that... Insight to Israel is back on America's Web Radio. If you want to know the truth about what's going on in Israel, tune in every Tuesday at 10 o'clock. Michael Gano did a show for us for a number of years. Then he had things come up. We had things come up. But things are happening in Israel right now that you wouldn't believe. I listened to his show yesterday, and uh, I just was in awe of what's going on. And you're not going to get this on any of the mainstream media, because Israel is turning over and is upside down. The communists have basically taken over in Israel. The first show is already archived, so be sure and tune in listen to it it will blow your mind and it is scary what's going on in israel right now 
We'll be back with Pete Mecca and his guest right after this. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Yours. All right, folks, we're back at General uh, uh, Tim Britt. General, you were in Afghanistan. Tell me what you thought about Afghanistan and, sir, your personal uh, comments on the evacuation. Sure. Um, you know, 20 years um, there, um, 20 years of an enormous effort at the tactical level, um, but I feel that there was almost zero strategic overlay to support what we were doing tactically on the ground to kill terrorists, um, to kill al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Um, I'm not sure we ever really dealt with uh, the country's reliance on the opium trade. It's, it's a huge source of revenue for Afghans. Um, I'm also uh, much more convinced that we never dealt with, because I saw it firsthand at every level over there, um, the corruption uh, that's present uh, from, and it's rampant, from the village level all the way to the national level of government there. Um, so, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, killing terrorists there uh, without addressing those other two key issues over 20 years, uh, which quite frankly should have been addressed by our politicians, uh, with certainly with the consultant input uh, of our generals. Um, we just, uh, in my opinion, uh, we relied too heavily on military source of national power and ignored uh, the other uh, the other national powers at our disposal, uh, you know, diplomacy and economics and information sources of national power that were that were really not uh, that were much thought was not given to, uh, or uh, certainly didn't appear to those of us on the ground that there was much thought uh, given to um, during the during the twenty years that we were there. You know, the good news is for twenty years we provided an environment there. Uh, for Afghans where their children uh, were not at the very much risk uh, of being abused of, of human trafficking or other abuses by the Taliban, uh, labor exploitation and, and those kind of things. Um, we also provided an environment there where families could just, in most cases, just live their lives. You know, without without fear of the Taliban, and just and just go about their daily lives um, uh, without uh, without that threat. So, uh, thankfully, um, there are now you know young children there that uh, you know sort of were able to sort of reap the benefits of our of our presence, and and young girls who were able to go to school, uh, and. Uh, for 20 years, they were able to go uh, and receive, uh, you know, care at a care at a at a military, you know, provided uh, sick call, uh, if you will, uh, and to go to school and to receive books to go to school and to receive clothing uh, through humanitarian efforts that we provided and and to receive water from a well of all the wells that we 
you know, that we that we prepared and other improvements to their infrastructure that we did over a 20-year period. Uh, and uh, all of those sort of things were done, uh, by and large, um, by the task force uh, Phoenix that I was that I was a part of, along with uh, many other uh, forces uh, that were there in country. Uh, but I would say the American forces uh, carried the load of, has, and have have carried the load for the last twenty years. General, uh, so, let, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, let, let's get to this. What, what did you think about the evacuation or pullout? And also, uh, don't mean to throw a curveball at you, but uh, the Lieutenant Colonel Marine that they just, uh, they're going to court-martial for his criticism. I know that's a two-edged sword there, but uh, give me your opinion on both those issues. Um, I think there was, I thought the withdrawal was a complete disaster. Uh our military leaders there at the highest level, in my opinion, uh, were negligent in their duties to prevent the disaster. I mean, we left about 15,000 Americans stranded. Uh, another approximately, you know, 25,000 or so Afghans who supported us uh, while we were there. We've left, we've abandoned them, and we've left them in an area that's controlled by a, by a brutal enemy. Um, this uh, the case of this of this lieutenant colonel. I think uh, my hat is off to that lieutenant colonel for standing up and 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 and, and speaking out. Um, and we need more leaders like that that would stand up and speak out. Um, Thank you. I don't. For I, don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to. At the end of the day, I don't know how you know where that's headed or how that's going to turn out. Uh, but the young man did the right thing. Yeah, I know we have a chain of command. I know you're supposed to follow orders. I know you're not supposed to uh, really publicly criticize your officers, but the uh, evacuation was such a disaster, and we got one Lieutenant Colonel Marine who's... Oh, yeah. the, this, the consequences of this failure are enormous. I mean, the, the death and torture of Afghans has already started. The children in Afghanistan are now especially in danger of becoming victims of human trafficking. There, there's a loss of billions of dollars in advanced military equipment and supplies that's now in the hands of our enemy. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Uh, sir, I think uh, uh, most of the country believes in your comments and my comments about this. Uh, I think the nation has wised up just a little bit when you uh, hear 80,000 people at a college football game saying uh, <clears throat> something about Joe Biden. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I think Absolutely. we're hopefully starting to turn about all this, but uh, my sympathies go out to that uh, yes. Lieutenant Colonel. I mean, it took a brain mine, mine as well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about your military service, uh, General, any regrets at all? Absolutely none. Absolutely none. Would, Would love to do it all over you? again. <laughs> Would you still advise a young man or, or young one uh, young lady to enter the military? I, I would, and I do. Okay. Uh, because we need them. We we need them there. Um, absolutely. Um, nope. 
Uh, you know what? If you don't mind, I would like to talk about your older brother, uh, Ted. Yes. Uh, interviewed you and your mother. I wrote his story. He's in my first book. Uh, yes, sir. You were you were seven years old when your older right. brother, Marine PFC uh, Ted Britt, lost his life in a four-hour brawl outside the wire with North Vietnamese soldiers during the historic siege at Khe Sanh in 1968. He was uh, uh, participated in a rare fixed bayonets assault by the yep. Marines in Vietnam. Tell us about the day your family received that tragic news. Okay. Um, the the official uh, the official notification came sometime while I was at school that day. Uh, like you said, I was I was seven years old. I was in elementary school at the time. Um, what what I recall about that day that is just a, it was just a you know a, a, a beautiful spring day. Um, I was walking home from school. Uh, as I as I approached my house uh, after school that day, I noticed a number of, of vehicles parked uh, up in the driveway and then and then out on the street uh, in in front of our house in Decatur, Georgia, uh, and uh, didn't you know didn't realize you know what was going on or anything. Didn't know why we would have you know visitors there uh, on, on a weekday, particularly uh, early in the afternoon, but. Uh, I, I remember walking into the house and just and seeing several of my aunts and uncles sitting around the living room, um, along with my sister Brenda. And, and Brenda was was about twenty years old at the time. Um, and it, no one said much to me. Uh, everybody just I remember the, the long looks, you know, on their faces, um, but. Within just a few seconds, my sister Brenda took me by the hand, and she took me back to my parents' room where she where she told me that Ted wouldn't be coming home. Um, still hard to talk about. Um, I, I don't remember a lot of other details of that day. That uh, that had to be hard for the entire family. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Marines uh, uh, assigned one Marine to support you during this time, and at the funeral. Tell us your thoughts about that one Marine that, that took you in. Yeah. The yeah, so we were, uh, there was a Marine corporal, uh, I believe it was a corporal, who um, was assigned the duty of escort. For, for Ted, and, and he stayed with the family, uh, you know, right at right at notification and and up and through uh, the funeral. Uh, and I, I just I recall that he was very young, not much older than Ted. Uh, looked like uh, a Marine from a recruiting poster. I mean, just uh, very very fit, very sharp. Uh, and, and I don't think the guy let me out of his sight the entire time he was he was there with the family. Um, every time I would move, he was he was right there, uh, at, at, you know, at my side, making making sure I was okay. And that's probably sort of the instructions and directions, you know, that he was given from from my mom. You know, was to you you look yeah. you know you look after Tim, and uh, 
he was uh, he was just a he was just a very calming presence uh, for me, uh, and, and seemed to be for my parents as well. Uh, and, and I know how tough escort duty can be, um, but that young Marine uh, was just absolutely everything we needed him to be for our family. I, I can't imagine anyone could have done a better job. Yeah. Well, God bless the United States Marine Corps. Uh, let's take a break. I know this is a very emotional uh, topic for you. Uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes, folks. Stay with us. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. It's yours. All right, we're back with uh, General uh, uh, Tim Britt. Lost his brother at Quezon in Vietnam. Uh, General, when I interviewed you and your mother, uh, boy, I know it was, it was difficult for her to talk about. It. That was a very delicate uh, interview for me, yeah. too. Uh, yeah. but in my opinion, she gave an excellent interview. I mean, she, yeah. she, uh, uh, she did a great job. Uh, yeah. Did your family talk much about your older brother as time went on, or, or how did y'all adapt to something like this? You know, um, we we did, uh, and and my mom would always uh, mention you know Ted's favorite foods or dishes and that kind of thing whenever she was preparing a, a special meal or, or a holiday dish or, or something like that. Um, and, and my father would talk about Ted's love for hunting and fishing and. And those kind of things. And um, my dad had put together sort of a scrapbook with Ted's photos from, you know, boot camp at Paris Island and any newspaper clippings uh, that maybe came about uh, after Ted's, uh, after the KIA, um, the announcement, um, his, the announcement for Ted's Silver Star that it was, all, you know, in the paper then. And, um, and, and and my daddy would share all that, you know, with, with family when they would come around. And um, We always had a, a, a photo of Ted, his boot camp picture, uh, which is the one in his blues. That was always prominently displayed to, in, in the living room. Um, and and daddy always kept his, a, a photo of from boot camp as well, but the photo of Ted and his fatigues. Uh, he always had that displayed uh, on the dresser in his bedroom. So, yeah, I mean, it, um, we didn't talk a lot about um, necessarily um, what happened in Vietnam and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, Mom and Daddy both received calls for, for years and years uh, from some of the members of, of Ted's platoon and just would call to check on them and that kind of thing. and. 
I remember that going on. But uh, yeah, um, it was. Uh, they, they talked about the, you know the good times uh, when he was around. I mean, he was only nineteen years old uh, at, at, at the time he was killed. Um, I think my father struggled maybe a little more uh, than, than my mom. You know, uh, I can't imagine. Uh, you know, now kids of my own that are. You know, my oldest daughter is now in her 30s, but um, I, I can't imagine uh, what it must have been like, you know, for them at 19 years old and, and receiving that news uh, of, of a child. And uh, but uh, I think they coped as well as they as well as they could. Um, and um, he was certainly always a big part of everything. Mom would every year for for Christmas, mom had a. A little miniature stocking, and she had she had just written on there with a little magic marker, Ted, and that was all. Yeah. You know, that was always that was always on the Christmas tree every year. Well, uh, General, with your permission, uh, I know that he received the Silver Star. I would like to read the short statement from uh, his best friend, Mike McCullough, who served with your brother. Uh, sure and give the folks a description of that day, with your permission, sure. sir. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yep. I had to be quite a few of the guys from this platoon, but Mike McCullough was Ted's best friend, Kay's son, and it is, this is what he told me. I landed in country during November of 1967. Ted and I met on Hill 881 overlooking Kay's son. My Boston accent and Ted's southern drawl formed a quick relationship, me being the damn Yankee and Ted being the Southern Rebel. I remember Ted always got fistfuls of letters from home when the choppers dropped the red mailbag. He would spend hours reading every word. We were jealous he got so much mail. During one shelling, our ammo dump took a direct hit. Live munitions were flying all over the place. A lot of our guys were injured when exploding or unexploding shells struck them. We would shell the NBA, and they would shell us right back. We loved the Air Force. When the B-52s dropped their huge payloads, we'd jump up and down cheering. It was awesome. In February, we lost about 25 Marines in an ambush. We were on the line and could overhear the radio cracking with guys screaming back and forth. We actually heard what was going on, but couldn't do a damn thing about it. And we couldn't retrieve our dead. That was tough to take. What we experienced is like it happened yesterday. On March 30th, we were nudged awake around 0300 in the morning, then silently worked our way outside the base perimeter. There we paused and waited in dense falls for the artillery barge to lift. I was squad leader. At daybreak, Lieutenant Lisa's voice suddenly cracked over the radio. Mac, tell your squad to fix bayonets. I kept thinking, oh Jesus, this is scary. But I told my squad to fix bayonets. There was a lot of nervous laughter until the artillery stopped. Instead of incoming, we were surrounded by a dead calm. It was weird, like an omen. Then the fog lifted. 
Little by little, the dead calm became a noise like popcorn in a microwave. Pop, 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 pop. That's how it got started. Then all hell broke loose. We fought tooth and nail for the better part of four hours. The NVA fired on us from spider holes buried under root systems of damaged trees. Grenades started falling on us, too, and automatic weapons fire was so thick it pinned us down. I got hit in my, my hand and leg. That's when I saw Ted jump from the safety of a trench and assault the enemy emplacement. He wiped it out single-handedly. We started moving forward again, but a rain of mortars came down on us. We hit the dirt and covered up, except for Ted. He rushed forward to engage the enemy by himself. That's the last time I saw Ted until we found him the next day. My best friend saved a lot of Marines. I still miss him today. General, the United States Marine Corps officially recorded the siege of Quezon lifted on April the 8th. That's one day after Ted's best friend, Mike McCollum, turned 20 years old. Uh-huh. Uh, God bless the United States Marine Corps. Uh, sir, your son was a hero, uh, no doubt about it. Amen. Um, I remember during our interview, it, it almost shocked me when I heard this, but your older brother, your parents' son, they, they brought him home on Mother's Day. Yeah. That, that was quite uh, um, quite emotional. Um, when, when they brought Ted home, how'd that day go? I, I mean, you know, I hate to ask you these things, but I know it's emotional for you, but it had to be tough on everybody. Um. I don't have uh, I don't have a lot of memories of, of, of what occurred on that on that particular day. Um, I, I know that later on, uh, as my parents talked about uh, kind of what happened, uh, I in fact I you know as 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 a small kid I, I didn't even have a, a recollection. I learned many years later that it was actually on Mother's Day. I, yeah. I, I didn't know that. Um, but I, I know that they had to go through. Um, I know that they had to go through uh, the the very hard um, process of you know uh, viewing the body and you know viewing Ted and yeah. identifying him and um, the someone and I don't know who uh, someone suggested that. Um, maybe the parents should not be the ones to do this. Maybe this should be done by uh, other family members, maybe uncles and those sort of things. So my, my dad asked um, two or three of my uncles if, if they would if they would view you know Ted and, 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 and that sort of thing. So that was that had to be just extremely hard. Um, it had to be an extremely hard day, as you said, not just for for my parents, but uh, you know, his, you know, the uncles and the aunts and, and cousins and and and, and everybody. It, it, Ted was the first. Uh, he was the first, you know, casualty from that war that 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 I mean, literally hit home. 
um, and, and was that and was close, you know, uh, to to everyone. Uh, certainly us, and then you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and and everybody. Yeah. Uh, so everybody felt the loss, um, and uh, it it just had to have been just a just just a horrible day, uh, especially uh, for my mom. I know that leading up to that. Um, there was about a 30-day period, about a month-long period, where Ted was reported as missing in action. Uh, and so, during that entire month, there was a, there was a lot of hope, you know, that he would come home. Um, yeah. And and I would say that even after, uh, even after, you know, he was brought home and 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 the funeral. The, the, we, we all held out hope that, well, you know, was that really Ted or not, you know, and is he, you know. Yeah. You know, is, he, uh, is he going to come walking through the door, you know, you know, in, in, any day now? But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, it's really uh, delicate to talk about. You know, um, <laughs> there was really nothing, uh, and I hate, I'm not making light of this, but there was, one point during that interview where we all got a good giggle, and that is when your mother said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm so afraid uh, uh, Tim, talking about you, is going to get hurt riding that Harley-Davidson motorcycle of his. <laughs> I wish he wouldn't ride that motorcycle. Are you still yeah. saddled up to Harley? I, I am, sir. Uh, I, I've, uh, I've moved on. In fact, I, I've, I've purchased a second Harley <laughs> uh, just last year. Um, oh yeah, I, I still ride. I have a Road Glide Limited. Uh, my wife and I both uh, ride. She rides her own. She rides an Indian Scout, and uh, we 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 enjoy it. Uh, we don't we don't make a lot of the long rides like like we used to. We we we've uh, we've progressed now, and uh, now we're RVers, and we have a motorhome, and we have a nice trailer to put the bikes in, and and uh, so we cheat a little bit now, but uh, we still. We still enjoy it, and we're able to spend time uh, during during the winter. We're, we're, we spend that down in in, in, the, in the Keys and have the bikes down there, and, and every day down there is a good is a good riding day. Um, and we still is. make it. We still make it to the the Sturgis Rally, and we still make it to Daytona. So we're, we're still good. at it. Yeah. Well, next time I um, come down here, give me a call, and I'll meet you at Daytona. Okay. I, I will, sir. I will. Right. I wanted to mention so, one thing. I, I wanted yeah, to mention one thing and, and recommend. There's a documentary, and this is going back to to, to, to Ted's unit, uh, Bravo Company, uh, first of the 26 Marines. There's a documentary that's out, and it's you can get it through Amazon, or uh, you can you can actually pull it up on Amazon Prime and watch it. And it's called Bravo, Common Men, Uncommon Valor. And it's about Ted's unit, uh, Bravo Company, first of the 26 Marines. And there's interviews. It's a documentary, and there's interviews with folks like Mike McCauley, who you talked about, and then uh, other uh, other folks from the platoon and, and the company uh, that were with Ted in Quezon uh, during, during the Ted Offensive. Highly recommend it. It's very well done. All right, General, um, so I'm going to our last break. Folks, stay with us. we still got some, some great stuff ahead. Uh, we'll be right back. 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, folks, we're back with Cheryl uh, Tim Britt talking about uh, his older brother lost his life at Quezon, Vietnam. Um, General, I remember how I became a member of the Atlanta Vietnam Veterans Business Association. They called me uh, out of the blue and asked for me to do a, a story about uh, Ted. And so I called and got in touch with you guys, and you were graceful uh, uh, to allow, allow me to interview and everything. But they had a special ceremony, the Atlanta Vietnam Veterans Business Association, uh, dedicated a plaque on the wall at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, or no, the, the uh, War Memorial in Rockdale County, Georgia. And that was a very special day, I think, for your mom and, and you too. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Uh, you know, those, those guys do it right. Um, it was... Uh, it was so well done. Uh, I don't think anyone could top what they what, what they did uh, with the program and, and um, the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, certainly stepped up and, and, and provided um, folks there. They had uh, they had uh, you know an ensemble of, of Marine Corps band that was that was there present that day. There was a flyover that day. There was. Of course, uh, most important of all of that was the turnout um, from Ted's unit. Um, just all these years that had passed, and this was back in 2012, uh, the ceremony itself, but all of those years that had passed, and, uh, you know, I, I had never even had an opportunity to, to speak with any of these guys by phone or by email or anything, and... Um, it, it was it was special to me and and to my mom. I wish my dad had still been around for it, uh, but it was just very special uh, to be able to meet Mike McCauley and and, and yeah. the Pipes and, and and many of the of the other guys uh, who who had, had been with Ted uh, in, in Bravo Company. It was a very 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 special very special day and and was just uh, it was o- over the top. Done, done extremely well. Uh, I thought it was great that they had that uh, Huey Chopper fly over uh, yep. to honor your brother. 
but uh, I don't know if you even know this. Uh, when they flew over, uh, they were low, too. You remember that? They were real low. Yeah. But I yeah. looked up, and the two air crewmen <clears throat> were at the bay door. And both of them were holding on to everything, but both of them were saluting. Do you remember that? I missed that. No, I did not know that. Yeah. When they flew over, wow. both of them were saluting your brother, yeah. but they had planned to hold American flags uh, out the bay door, but they forgot the flags. So they okay. decided it would be more appropriate <laughs> okay. to salute your brother. I didn't know that. So that okay. was exactly what they did. Yeah. Uh, it was a great day. It was. Well, with your permission, would you mind if I read Ted's last letter to his father? Uh, yes, sir, please. All right, thank you. Date of January 30th, 1968. Hi, Dad. I got your letter today. I was hoping like hell y'all wouldn't find out what's going on here, but I don't guess I can stop the newspapers or the newsreels. Since you already know about the trouble here at Kaysan, and you asked me to tell you about it, I'll try to, er, to try to tell you everything that has happened so far. All the trouble started on the 21st of January around 5 o'clock a.m. in the morning. On the 21st, Kaysan was hit heavily by mortars, rockets, and artillery. They really did a damn good job on us. They hit our main ammo dump first, causing our own artillery to go off which blew up half of Kaysan. They also destroyed our headquarters, airstrip, both mess halls, and our supply tents and bunkers. They really put the hurt on us. Later in the day, they shot down two large planes, one Phantom, three helicopters, and one spotter plane. About 0800, a small force of NVA tried to fight their way into Kaysan by using terror glass and flamethrowers, but we pushed them back and chased them into the hills where we made contact with a whole battalion of NVA between Hill 881 and 861. We called in artillery and airstrikes to help us out. When we got the word, there was four regiments of NVA moving toward us, so we pulled out and our planes went in and dropped napalm on them. We've been having contact with NVA ever since the 21st, and it's the 30th now. They have been throwing mortars and rockets at us every day since the 21st. They have tried everything you can think of to get inside our lines here at Kaysan. A few days ago, they tried using dogs to get inside our bobbed wire. They tied satchel charges with timed detonators on dogs on the dogs which were trained to go up to our wire and lay down. The satchel charges would go off, blowing holes in the bobbed wire. They also tunneled under our wire. The reason we weren't getting ammo and supplies was because the airstrip was blown up during the mortar attack. The airstrip has been repaired, and we're getting ammo and supplies regular. The casualty reports in the papers are correct. The three killed and 39 wounded here at Kaysan were caused by the mortar attack on the 21st. There's been one killed and about 24 wounded here at Kaysan since the 21st. 
I can't remember who it was that said Lord is hell, but he was sure right about that. It's an awful and bloody thing to see your friends get blown away right next to you. I just pray that someday the world can live in peace and stop killing each other like a bunch of savages. We don't. I don't think there's a person here at K-Sign on either side that endorses killing or wants to be killed. I know I don't, but that's what I'm here for, and that's my job, and I must do my job and defend my country, even if I don't think it is right. Things are starting to cool off a bit now, so there is no need for you to worry about me. I can take care of myself. Besides, I have the deepest foxhole and stronger bunker in case some. Ha ha. Well, I guess I'd better close for now so I can get this letter mailed right away. Be good and write soon, and please don't worry about me. Your loving son, Ted. God bless him. General, uh, how about some final thoughts about your brother? Well, yeah, um... You know, in all of that, every time I every time I read that letter, what really stands out to me is that uh, you know we you've served, I've served. Uh, I'm, I'm sure many of the listeners have, have served, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is, regardless of of, of why you're there, regardless of, of because we're uh, we're members of, of military, you know, organizations uh, under civilian control. Uh, regardless of, of why you're there and in the situation that you're in, you know, Vietnam, Afghanistan, uh, wherever, um, doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the day, it's about, you know, the person to your left and right. And yes, sir. Yeah. I think that was the point that Ted made and, and, and made it well, that whether or not he agreed uh, necessarily, uh, with with why he was there, he he was going to do everything uh, that that he could uh, to protect uh, his brothers on his left and right. Um, I agree. There's just there's not a day that goes by that I don't that you know that I don't think about him or, and miss him. Uh, it, his his service uh, in the Marines and his sacrifice for our country. Uh, not just for his country, but for his combat brothers. To me, it just had the biggest impact of any person or any event in my lifetime. He's the singular reason I wanted to serve my country and wear a uniform. Um, I know I'll see him again one day, uh, and until then, I love you, brother. Yeah, well said, General. Well said. Um, you know, Kaysan was, uh, when they started that siege of Kaysan, I think President Johnson was one who said, we're not going to have another Ben Ben Pugh or the North Vietnamese uh, uh, conquered the French. And the Vietnamese, I mean, the uh, Marines, they were, what, like 6,000 of them there, and they were surrounded by like 35,000 enemy soldiers, and, and yet they withheld uh, uh, the attacks, that they held their ground, and... That was the prelude to the uh, Tet Offensive. Uh, I really don't know if that was a fence, or, you know, like a, a bluff or what, 
uh, a diversionary tactic, but God bless them. Those guys at Kaysan, they they went through hell and high water, not just for the country, but for each other. Um, I still I haven't talked to Mike McCullough, his best friend, in a long time, but Boy, Mike had a tough time at that dedication ceremony, too, when they dedicated the plaque. Uh, right. I think his leg was still messed up in Vietnam, and his wife was trying to support him when he stood up. And I went over yeah. there and uh, helped Mike stand up. And he held on tight. And I looked at him, and I mean, the tears were just rolling out of his eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You never forget. You never forget. Uh, do you ever hear from any of his buddies or friends anymore? You know, you know, I don't. Uh, and in fact, uh, sadly, I've, I've lost contact uh, with with Mike, um, and, and I've not I've not heard from him or or, or any of the other folks. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess time does move on, but uh, uh, I want to thank you and all your family uh, for the interview that you gave me. I know that it was tough on you. Uh, I know this interview was tough today. Uh, General, thank you, sir, also. 26 years in the military, uh, not just to to serve honorably for yourself, but for your brother. Uh, Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank thank you, Pete, and and thank you for the invite and, and for having me. Uh, uh, no problem at all. I, I loved your family. Uh, your mother was she. She was really a hoot to tell you the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I loved yeah. her to death. And, and uh, God bless you, sir. You be careful on that motorcycle, please. Thank you, sir. I will do it. Okay, folks, be with us uh, next week for another great uh, program on a veteran story on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Pete Mecca signing off. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.